and if you're putting yourself in an uncomfortable position in training, then that's going to become natural in um, competition. That Triathlon Show, episode 55. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. As always, I'm your host, Michael, and my guest on today's interview is Danielle Stefano, an Australian triathlon coach, and she is the owner of Elotic Pro Triathlon, which is her own squad, which she has uh, recently founded after working for several years in uh, at a federational and institutional level uh, in within Australian triathlon and among other things and accomplishments going to the London Olympics in 2012 at I believe 28 years old so that is a pretty stellar achievement we'll talk a bit more about that in the interview we talk about a lot of different things in the interview that that all of you will definitely find very very interesting because Danielle has a kind of an, an unorthodox background in coaching not actually being a triathlete herself and she has uh, seen many different sports from both coaching and sports scientist perspective, including rowing, cycling, swimming, basketball, you name it, really. And and that is one of the, the main things that I want to bring out with this interview, how much you can really learn from different sports and being a coach and being involved as a sports scientist or whatever role you have in other sports than triathlon and use that within triathlon and that it's important to bring an outside perspective to triathlon and, and keep a wide lens and danielle is a perfect example of that with all that she has achieved she is a coach at the very highest level so i'm very happy to bring you danielle stefano of elotic pro triathlon All right, today on That Triathlon Show, I'm with uh, Danielle Stefano, an Australian triathlon coach calling in from Girona. How are you doing tonight, Danielle? Very good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And we were just chatting uh, briefly before going going on record about what you're doing with your squad down in Girona and, and teaming up with, uh, with the New Zealand squad as well. You actually have your own... Uh, coaching uh, coaching business Elodic uh, Pro Triathlon is that how you pronounce it I should have asked that before I realized now <laughs> no that's okay yeah Elotic Pro Triathlon that's correct okay excellent uh why don't you give us a brief uh, background about your triathlon coaching history it's pretty interesting and, and not the more conventional one I, I would say yeah no that's right I haven't really taken a um I guess uh yeah orthodox uh route to coaching but um I started off uh as a sports scientist at the Victorian Institute of Sport in Melbourne and um I, I came through their trainee program and then uh yeah was working kind of casually and full and into full time with them um for about uh, 10 years all up and, um, yeah, with that, I was working with triathlon, but also with swimming, track and field, cycling and men's hockey. And so I had a, yeah, a lot of experience across a number of different sports and my main area was in physiology. And so, um, with that, I was working with, obviously with the triathlon program with the head coach at the time, who was John O'Hall. Um, and then, yeah, John ended up taking the uh, head coach position with the USA uh, triathlon team at the start of 2012. And at that point, we had two athletes in contention for the Olympics, which is Erin Densham and Brendan Sexton. 
And, um, yeah, they came to me and said, look, you know us better than anybody else. Um, now that Jono's gone, can you kind of coach us through to London? And um, I'll be honest, I was a little bit shocked, but um, also like very honoured as well that they um, had the confidence in me to kind of take them through the selection period and into London. And um, yeah, so that's when I was uh, allowed to take a, a bit of a break from my sports science duties and pursue uh, the coaching uh, aspect of things with Erin and Brendan. And so um, spent a couple of months over in Europe and ended up at the Olympics with them. And um, yeah, obviously had a, a really good experience there with Erin uh, winning bronze medal and you know, Brendan, his first Olympics came 35th. And then, um, yeah, came back from from London and I was uh, back into my sports science job and, yeah, I was just missing the coaching part of things again. And uh, in, they still hadn't filled the role at, at VIS for the head coach position. And I ended up going through the interview process when they uh, went through that again and, yeah, was lucky enough to get the job. So I um, was the head coach at VIS for four years and um, with that was obviously one of um, the high-performance coaches for Triathlon Australia as well. And then, um, yeah, now just at the start of this year, I've just uh, stepped away from that and started up my own business with um, Elotic. So uh, having that as a uh, high-performance program for not only Australian athletes but internationals as well. And uh, what does your squad look like at the moment in Elotic? Uh, so at the moment, we've got um, a, a few different athletes. So I've got my able-bodied athletes, which um, some of the, uh, t- uh, I guess, top guys that you might have heard of is Marcel Walkington, who's just come on to the uh, WTS scene this year, and um, Tamsin Moana Vale as well. Um, and then got some younger athletes with Damon Bogue um, and then Mitch Kibbe also in there. Um, and then I've got one of our para triathlon um, athletes who is Kate Doughty. And Kate is a PS5 athlete. She um, is missing a hand. And um, this year at the moment, Kate's ranked number one in the world. So she had a really good um, year this year with two wins and a, and a bronze um, in the world para triathlon series. And then, um, yeah, I also have a um, under-23 Chilean athlete, Martin Aloa, who is also on board. Um, and he'll be racing at the world champs uh, this year as well in Rotterdam. Yeah, and as we mentioned, you're now in in Girona, so you you split your your base between between Girona in Spain and and Australia. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously, um, we pretty much just follow the sun, I guess. But um, we spend the the summer in in Australia in Melbourne, and then um, obviously we have our domestic series back there between Australia and New Zealand. So um, it makes sense for us to be based there, and then come around about May. So normally around the time of the Yokohama WTS race, um, we then move our base to Girona in Spain, given most of our competition is in Europe or America, and um, also the climate's obviously a lot better here. So from a um, uh, from a travel perspective and a, and a climate perspective, it makes more sense to be based here in Europe. Right. I want to go back a bit to your background again and uh, the fact that. Y- you haven't done any competitive triathlon yourself. You come from that sports science background and you have been coaching a lot of different sports. You have been competing or, or playing basketball yourself. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I um, I was a basketballer and a dancer, so very weird mix, I know. Um, but yeah, I've never, never done a triathlon myself and um, wasn't a triathlete uh, at or not even a basketballer at an elite level, to be honest. But um. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, and that was probably, I've, I've obviously copped a lot of um, criticism about that uh, when I first started early on, when I first moved into coaching about um, not just being, a, a, um, a, I guess, a, a person who hasn't been involved as an athlete, but being a young female as well didn't go down too well with a lot of people, which I found a surprise. So, um, yeah, it, it created, I guess, a little bit of controversy, but 
for me, it never really bothered me or, or I didn't think that I couldn't do it, mainly because the main people who I guess um, meant the most to me was the athletes and the athletes themselves had full confidence in me as a coach and my ability. Um, I had their support from day one. So that was the main thing for me. Um, and I guess, yeah, with my background and not being an, an elite athlete, I could think from outside of the box and I guess um, draw on some of my external experiences and not be set in, I guess, my own, you know, training ways um, if I was from an elite um, athlete background. Do you have some examples of that kind of out of box thinking that uh, that you think not being a triathlete yourself has has helped you with? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess um, you know, obviously triathlons are highly physiological sport, and so for me that was you know physiology was my bread and butter for for ten years. So working with um, you know triathlon, but also the individual aspects of the sport, so with swimming, um, cycling, and and track and field, um, I was highly like I get involved with the coaches and what they were doing from a prescription perspective but also a technical perspective and I um I was able to see I guess what the the individual sports did and how they elicited different responses in training and how they got um you know I guess got to push their athletes to be able to get a performance and then bring that back to all right well how can we do that in triathlon and um, you know, even I, I had a lot to do with our rowing program as well. And even just, you know, you might think, all right, one's in a boat and then you've got um, triathlon with three different sports, but they're both, you know, big endurance sports that um, have some similarities in terms of the training and, um, you know, being able to, I guess, kind of cross-pollinate with our rowing coaches. They learn a lot from me and I learn a lot from them in terms of how they um, set up different training sessions and recovery and things like that. So um, that was one one side of it. it was the physiological thing I could um, I had a really good understanding and good grasp on how the body works and how it responds to different stimulus. Um, but then from a technical perspective, I was lucky enough to have exposure to um, you know Australia's best coaches and you know some of those coaches are, are world leading coaches as well. So you know from a swimming perspective, I worked daily with, um, you know, Rowan Taylor and Ian Pope, who at the time were coaching, you know, Liesl Jones, Grant Hackett, Michael Klim. So I was working with those guys and, um, you know, trying to perfect their stroke with them and look at what was required to be able to swim efficiently, but fast at the same time. And then, um, from a cycling perspective, like Dave Sanders, who, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Dave, but Dave's been responsible for a lot of our, um, top Australian road cyclists with their development and, you know, like Cadell Evans, Simon Guerin, Simon Clark. So spending a lot of time with Davo in the car and picking his brains on, you know, what he would do to try and, um, improve performance for our cyclists, um, was really valuable for me. And, um, yeah, the same with running, working with, um, Dick Telford and Nick Badeau was able to, you know, talk to them about, you know, their middle distance and distance athletes and, um, you know, what worked and what didn't work and how they'd set up their training week and training month. Um, so yeah, they, like the individual disciplines I learned a lot from. And then obviously from John O'Hall, who was the triathlon coach at the time, um, John and I worked very closely together for, you know, yeah, it's kind of eight years. So, um, I learned a lot from John and his experience. Yeah, that, that's a fascinating topic about how you can can get some things from the individual disciplines and then apply it to triathlon because obviously that's what uh, triathletes did in the early days, right? They they tried to take a runner's program and a cyclist program and a swimmer's program and put them all together and, and train like that. And and we've learned over time that that doesn't really work and you need to be specific to the sport of triathlon and and try to put them all together in a more sensible way. But uh, but that said, obviously there are 
a ton of things that you can learn from each individual sport. So, so do you have any specific examples of what you have applied and learned from those other coaches and the other sports that you, you now use regularly in your triathlon training and that, that are like founding principles of your coaching philosophy? Uh, yeah, look, you're right in terms of, um, you know, having individual coaches for the individual disciplines. And um, so many times, like you said, we've seen that it doesn't work and you do need to have, you know, I guess someone that understands the full picture. And um, I guess, you know, from me, particularly with um, with Jono and seeing how he operated, um, it was, you know, he obviously called upon a lot of those individuals as well when he was a coach, but um, ensuring, I guess, the management of the of the load and being able to um, make sure that you're still pushing the athletes and getting as much as you possibly can out of them, but then also allowing for rest and adaptation for those benefits to occur. Um, so for me, you know, like I, I guess I used to always um, talk to uh, to Rowan Taylor quite quite a lot about how he'd structure uh, his swim um swim sessions and what I learned from him was that you know obviously you can probably push them a little bit harder in the water than you can with a lot of the other um disciplines and so for me I didn't necessarily structure my swim sessions in triathlon like a swim coach would because we simply weren't swimming as much as um swimmers do so taking I guess the the best parts of Rowan's program and what he did from a um a programming perspective and making sure that when we were in the water we were pretty much we pretty much do quality every time we're in the water there's no real kind of um I guess opportunity to just have um you know I guess junk mileage or anything like that for for triathletes you really need to have bang for your buck and Rowan um did have some experience with triathletes and that was one thing that he kind of said to me that you know yeah they're they're pretty fit people but do they need to be doing as many k's in the water as um they potentially do do yeah that's a that's a really good good point and, and a specific tactic that listeners can take away and definitely agree that's that's what i do myself in, in my training as well and my coach has had me on that kind of program and uh, totally agree that that it works um i want to move into your responsibilities as a coach a little bit and uh, and the different roles that you take with your athletes, especially since you have a squad. Can you talk a little bit about that first? What your responsibilities, different responsibilities as a coach of an elite squad are? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, well, yeah, first and foremost, it's, it's pretty much to like lead and guide the athletes to, um, help them have continued improvement in their performance and and help them reach their goals and obviously like with the different athletes there's different um levels and different uh you know goals and achievements that they're setting out um to towards and you know my responsibility is to to help them get there and help them do what they need to do to achieve that and i guess um you know a big thing with me and and my philosophy with my coaching is to enable um to be able to give the athletes the tools to be able to take ownership and accountability of their own development and performance. Um, you know, I'd, I am a strong believer in creating empowered athletes and I don't want them to be dependent upon me and just listening to everything I do and do it religiously without even, you know, asking a question or understanding why we do things. So um, for me, I think there's a responsibility of not only, you know, coaching them from a, a technical and physiological perspective, but coaching them um, as people as well to understand why they do it and to make those decisions and have confidence in themselves to be able to, um, you know, take take charge and take control of their own um, their own destiny, really. 
So yeah, you coach coach elite athletes at the moment mostly, but do you find that they have a basic grasp of the theory and the principles of training and physiology and why they do what they're doing? Or do you actually need to teach them that from the ground up? Yeah, look, some do. Um, and those, I guess, that have been with me for a bit longer uh, understand. But I always uh, like to, when I get new athletes on board, um, explain to them that, you know, I, I want them to ask questions. And if they don't understand or they're thinking, you know, why is she making me do this? Ask the question why. Like, what is the purpose to this session or what are we trying to get out of it? Because I believe that if the athlete has a clear understanding of why I'm trying to do something with them, then you're going to get more out of them in training um, and they'll push themselves a little bit more in that performance because they understand the reason behind it. If they think, you know, that you're just going into a training session and I'm just giving them a hard session because, you know, I'm in a bad mood or something, then, you, you know, they don't um, apply themselves as, you know, potentially some of the athletes may not p- apply themselves as well as they need to. So, um, I like to give an explanation of why we do certain things, uh, but I also encourage the athletes to uh, ask questions if they want to, if they are unsure of themselves. Is that how it commonly goes that you that you don't get them to apply themselves enough if they don't understand it, or can it be the other way around as well that uh, they go too hard in these sessions because they don't understand the value of that? Or what is if I rephrase? The, let me rephrase the question. What are one or a couple of uh, the most common mistakes that you see athletes make before they start understanding why they do those sessions that you have them do? Yeah, I think um, I, I think you're right in what you were just saying just, just then is that you either get athletes that are going too hard when you don't want them to go as hard as they are or they're going too easy when you want them to go hard. So, for instance, like for, for example, like we, we might do a swim session where I'll start off the main set and it might be, say, 450s dive max and I want them to go absolutely max um, and then they'll go into some more threshold work. And the purpose for that for me is to try and um, simulate the start of a race. So it's an all-out sprint pretty much to get to the first buoy to try and get some, you know, a good position and, and potentially clear water around that first buoy. So it's always a, you know, a really fast start. And then people start to get into a bit of a rhythm and you can hold feet and then, you know, kind of sit at that threshold pace. So, you know, sometimes when we go into a session, I'll say to them, I don't care, like, you know, what the time is. I just want you to go all out 100% and then um, be able to try and start the main set with this, you know, lactate accumulated already in your system. Um, So if the athlete doesn't actually understand the point of those first dive 50s, then they can sometimes hang back and save themselves because they know what's coming up next. Um, Whereas for me, I'd rather them go all out and and potentially fade. Um, That to me gives me more information than somebody holding back and saving themselves just to get through the set. Yeah, great example. And uh, there's tomorrow's swim workout for you short course <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> That's, uh, that sounds like a great one, actually. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, so moving on to the other roles and the actual coaching role, we discussed briefly in our e- email conversation about the coach-athlete relationship and the different dimensions to that. So, And you take a, an all-encompassing responsibility in, in, in those roles as far as I understand. So can you talk about that as well? Yeah, sure. Um, it's, you know, I guess I spend so much time with um, my elite guys, you know, on the road and back home. Um, I'm pretty much with them here 24 um, seven when we're over in Girona. And when we're back in Melbourne, um, I see them, you know, most weeks, it'll be at least six out of seven days. And for some of them, it's, it's seven as well. So, um, 
I not only become their coach, I, I end up, you know, I guess being um, their their psych, their their mum, their big sister, like everything really. You kind of take it all on board um, depending on what's going on. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, for me it's I, – I think I, I guess try and have a really strong and open relationship with my athletes because I do think that um, when we are away and there isn't really too many people around but our squad – um, if they do need to talk to someone about what's going on either within triathlon or outside of triathlon, that they do feel comfortable, that they can talk to me or at least um, just say, look, hey, you know, I uh, might be a bit off today um, because I've got this going on in, in, in my life. So, um, yeah, you know, I I play a big role with them um, from a, a mental perspective as well. Uh, I also um, can give them advice on, on some of their nutritional aspects, uh, both for a race and, and for training as well, for um, performance and recovery. Um, so obviously my background allows me to kind of help out with that. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess I um, also help them out with their kind of sponsorship things as well with the, their sponsors and trying to, um, you know, help, you know, uh, obviously get sponsorship with different companies. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you name it and I'm kind of involved with it really, to be honest. Yeah, that sounds like a 24-7 job almost. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so you communicate with them six, seven days a week, as you said. And uh, how does that communication and, and what the athletes tell you about things in triathlon, how they felt after a training session or after a race and outside of triathlon, how how do you take that into account when you plan their training? Let's start with the training and the and, uh, physical side of things. Do you change a lot in their program is it really flexible and uh, dynamic or do you have it and do you want them to try to stick to stick to what you have laid out for them yeah no it definitely is dynamic just depending on how um they feel and i guess the the advantage of me being um a face-to-face coach is you can get i guess not only the feedback from them um that they're giving you but you can actually see the athlete and you know you're obviously collecting other data as well whether it's you know um from their power meter or their garmin or whatever so you've got a really um i guess holistic view of of how they're responding to the um training load and whether you do need to adjust things and make it you know give them an easier day or um or up the stimulus so um, yeah, I, I think the, the communication from the athlete is imperative and that to me, um, will dictate, you know, whether I, um, change training slightly for them. I never really like kind of completely uphaul the whole week. Um, but it might just be that you might just go a little bit easier or you might just cut the intensity back, um, slightly in a session to enable them to get through the, the week, um, with what you've got planned. Because I guess for me, my big thing is, um, you know, you want consistency in training. So there's no point smashing an athlete if they, if you think, oh, yeah, I can get them through this and just smash them, but then they might be, you know, out for the count for a couple of days. I'd rather push them just, you know, before they break and then still be able to have them training um, at a lesser intensity rather than having them do no training at all because they're having to recover. So that's typically, I guess, the way it goes that you more often than than upping the stimulus as you mentioned you you rather reduce the workload just a little bit or is there a 50 50 balance of, of those two uh yeah i guess it depends on the athlete um there's some athletes that i know that i you know need to kind of completely back off and they have to 
um, have, you know, just real easy aerobic day to come um, back up again. There's other athletes that I have that I know that if I just, you know, say reduce the set, I might, instead of doing four sets, you do three sets, that that's enough um, of a break for them to, to get them through. So it is very individual and um, you get to obviously know the athlete quite well when you're spending so much time and you're seeing them in the environment. So, yeah, it does vary depending on how they respond. Okay, but but what I actually meant was that do you ever like add something, push them a little bit harder in the workout if you see that they're really really going on all uh, on, they are on fire in in that training session or have been for a week or several weeks already? Do you ever add any more sets to to their workout, for example, or make it a little bit longer? Um, oh, look, to be honest, I probably don't necessarily make it longer. Um. I might like surprise them with, um, you know, just say it's an extra effort, um, not because of how well they've been doing the set, but it might just be something that I've got up my sleeve that I think, all right, if they've handled it well, I'm, I'm going to do this anyway. Um, so for example, like I might get them to do, say, you know, a, a hundred meter best effort at the end of a, um, a race pace session, uh, in the water. Um, but yeah, normally if I've got a hard session planned, and they do it really, really well, then that's great. I don't need to add any more to it. Um, you know, they're obviously pushing themselves. I might push them to go harder in the set, but I don't normally add extra to the set. Okay, excellent. So w- what about those outside stressors that we that we mentioned already? How, how do they affect the programming side of things and, and how you push them or hold them back in workouts? Yeah, um, I think it's more, I mean, you can kind of tell really with the athletes if they're struggling with some stuff outside of triathlon. And I guess, you know, with some of the athletes I've had in the past, you know, there's, you know, personal issues, whether it's family or, um, you know, relationship issues that um, you can just say that they're just struggling and they just need a bit of time to, you know, I guess get over whatever's happening or, or sort that out. And so um, for me, I think a lot of the time in the past, I've just, um, it's been, I guess, beneficial for the athlete to have me as someone that they can talk to because a lot of the time when they are away, they don't feel like they can talk to, you know, their training mates or anything about those that stuff. So I often, um, yeah, just take them out for a coffee and have a chat and just make sure that they can kind of get what they need to off their chest or, or um, you know, for some of them it's just have a cry really because they don't feel like they can, you know, they have to be this kind of strong person at training. So um, there's that kind of side to it. But then, yeah, normally if they're really struggling, I just get them to have, you know, a day off, tell them, you know, go to the beach and just kind of try and clear your mind and um, and just get, you you know, don't worry about triathlon for today. Just, um, yeah, kind of have a, I guess, your own kind of space and um, do what you need to do. Okay, perfect. One thing that you mentioned earlier about what you learned from uh, Jonah Hall was about managing training loan. And that just got stuck in the back of my head all the time. But uh, I wanted to move on with in uh, in succession with uh, with these questions in a logical order. But But now I want to ask you a little bit more specifically about managing training load. Do you have any specific tools? For example, an obvious answer is training peaks with their uh, performance management chart. That's one way to do it. Do you use that or do you have some some other ways? Is it just on uh, intuition and, and being with the athletes and seeing how they respond or how does that work for you, the training load management side of things? Yeah, um, look, I do use training peaks in terms of, um, you know, putting everything up there and having all the athletes' files in there. So obviously you're getting, like there is the performance management chart and, um, you know, just getting, I guess, the weekly 
totals of um, what the athletes are doing. But to be honest, it is probably more um, intuition and um, knowing the athlete and um, and having, I guess, an understanding of what you're wanting to get out of them and what's actually occurring. So um, the I guess the performance management chart and the data that uh, you do kind of get through training peaks is, I, I guess, just a, a backup for me and something that re, um, reaffirms what I'm thinking um, a lot of the time. So I don't make decisions based purely on what training peaks is telling me, but um, I, ca- I do use that as a reference to kind of see if what I'm thinking um, is potentially going on and that can sometimes help as well. Okay, excellent. Finally, you are starting to work with some age groupers in uh, in Melodic Pro Triathlon is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I've um I've obviously got like my um kind of uh main elite group that um, I'm working with, but also opening up and giving um yeah the opportunity to a few age groupers to come on board um as athletes with the um with the Elotic Pro Triathlon squad. And um I mean most of that will be via correspondence, just purely um because I'm all over the shop as well. But um, yeah, there is the opportunity, whether it be in Girona or in Melbourne, to potentially um, you know join in on some sessions as well, if that works for wherever the athletes are placed. But yeah, um, it's a new area for me. I've had a little bit of experience in the past working with age groupers, but um, yeah, would like to kind of go down that um, track for the moment for a few select um, people. Is there any specific uh, distance that the age groupers? will be focusing on that you that you are that you prefer and then a specific level of age groupers who does this apply to who would be a a good candidate to to send you a, a request yeah look it's um i'm i'm not um like worried about what distance it is any distance uh, will be fine but um i guess yeah i'm i'm looking for people that are really i guess dedicated to triathlon and really kind of enthused about um their own performance and wanting to you know i guess even as an age grouper act in an elite way really um that's probably what um i'm looking at because the the one thing i do enjoy is i I enjoy people who are i guess self-motivated and the one thing i don't want is i don't want to have to be kind of you know on people's backs saying come on you need to do this you need to do this all the time um i really like and enjoy people who um are involved and um are really i guess enthusiastic about their own training and their own development so yeah that's pretty much my main big my main um uh request i guess is yeah anyone who's really um enthusiastic and and uh committed to their training then yeah go ahead and apply that'd be great I don't think there's a shortage of, of those, those people in triathlon. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, all right. So one final question before rolling into the rapid fire questions. If you could just list out very briefly a few key points, just a couple or three that you consider critical for successful triathlon training and that you emphasize a lot with your athletes without going into into any detail on, on them, but... Yeah, sure. So first of all, communication between the coach and the athlete is imperative and it needs to be open and honest both ways. Um, So that's a big thing for me. Um, I guess challenging the athletes to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I know that that's a a quote that everyone uses so so frequently, but it really is um, quite applicable to triathlon. And if you're putting yourself in an uncomfortable position in training, then that's going to become natural in um, competition. And um, I guess the other thing is is almost having a um, a uh, skill checklist for yourself to kind of go through when you're not only in a race but um, in training and under fatigue. So for me, it's um you know if we're looking at the run, 
if you're not hitting paces or you're falling back in a race, what is it that makes you actually run fast? What do you need to focus on? And what are those um, key things to um, think about to enable you to run fast or get back on track rather than letting your mind kind of wander away and um, and just focus on the negatives and have negative self-talk creep in. Um, having a, a race checklist or a skill checklist is um, a really important thing to have as well to be able to stay relaxed. I think that's really good. Uh, the last point about a skill checklist. I mean, we've heard that that tip like phrased different ways, but not in terms of a checklist. I, I think that that's something that can make it a bit more tangible, I guess, for for people and uh, myself included. That to have those things that you know beforehand. That if you start to fall back, then check is this okay? Uh, am I really? keeping my hip up high am i driving my, my my knees up and and so on in on the run or whatever it is which whichever discipline it is that's uh that's a really useful tip i like that a lot so uh moving on to the rapid fire questions starting with what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon yeah um I'm, this one's a bit obscure i'm not really it's not really directly related to triathlon but i do think it's directed to um triathlon and elite sport in general but probably book is um the chimp paradox by professor steve peters um and he's worked quite closely with um a lot of the gb uh cyclists but um yeah it's i guess understanding your emotions and thoughts and the negative self-talk that can kind of creep in um when you are competing or training it really talks about mind management so yeah it's probably my favorite book yeah i've heard about that before actually on on a marathon talk i think and i think there's a new book that that talks about that uh that concept as well with simon marshall's the brave athlete called the uh, f down or i think that's what it's called so. yeah yeah i've seen that as well come out yeah so yeah. i mean i think it's a really important um aspect for triathlon yeah what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment um i'm not a massive gear fan but i'd probably say snorkel um just because when i'm you know working with athletes trying to correct stroke or improve stroke the snorkel just allows them to be able to focus on what they're doing with their arms hips and legs rather than um having to worry about breathing so yeah probably the snorkel i'd say yeah who's somebody in triathlon or related somehow it can be actually from any anybody in your sporting background that you admire or look up to um, yeah, I've probably got a couple actually, but to pick one, um, I'd probably say at the moment it'd be Darren Smith, to be honest. Um, Darren's been really good to me. He's, he's one of my mentors and, um, I, I'm probably, I probably admire not obviously everyone kind of knows his sporting background and what he's achieved as a, um, triathlon coach. But for me, I'm probably, um, I probably admire the, his willingness to share his knowledge and his experience uh, with not just myself, but a number of coaches, but yeah, he's been really good to me and my um, development. So yeah, I'd probably say Darren. Excellent. Thank you so much, Danielle. This has been great. You can be found on uh, elodicprotriathlon.com. And uh, do you have any social media that we should uh, follow? Uh, yeah, sure. So I've got um, our Instagram, which is at elodicprotriathlon. And also Facebook as well, um, Elodic Pro Triathlon on Facebook. So both um, both of those me- uh, medias and also on Twitter, um, just my own account with Danielle Stefano. Excellent. And if you are that type of uh, very ambitious age grouper that may be interested in having Danielle as a coach, then uh, do visit her website and send her an email from that. Thank you. This has been Danielle Stefano from Elodic Pro Triathlon. It was a pleasure having you on the sh- show, Danielle. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Enjoyed it. 
All right, that's a wrap for today's interview. I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, please uh, send me feedback to michael at scientifictriathlon.com. That's Michael with a K. I certainly enjoyed talking to Danielle a lot. And uh, I think that she uh, is an exciting triathlon coach to watch and, and follow uh, what she will do with her squad and loading pro triathlon. Maybe we'll get a chance to catch up sometime with me moving to Lisbon and she basing herself and her squad in Girona in Spain pretty a long time of the year during the winter of australia so yeah we'll see i have one listener question that i want to answer on today's episode i've already answered it on email but i'll take it on uh, the podcast as well because a lot of listeners are asking these similar kinds of questions this is uh, samit i'm hoping i'm pronouncing that right he is asking about uh, having an olympic race coming up in a few weeks he writes, I am wondering how to pace myself. Is there a certain workout I can do to tell me my race pace? Or should I aim at a particular heart rate zone? Could you please throw some light on that? Yes, Samit, uh, I would say that I have actually now kept up the, um, the correspondence with you and know that you're, you're more of a beginner triathlete. So definitely for you, it would be keeping for an Olympic staying within that zone free and and not going over that i think is the the sensible way to do it whether it's power or heart rate that you use either one is fine or pace so on the bike you could use heart rate or power and on the run you could use you could use pace or heart rate and i have two episodes on that those are episodes 29 and 30 they i go into training zones for cycling and running in those so just go to that that triathlonshow.com and uh, click those old episodes or go to scientifictriathlon.com forward slash tts29 or tts30 and that's the numbers 29 and 30 for the swim go hard as hard as you can sustain for the duration and i would say i would suggest doing a 1500 meter time trial in training before the race and see what it feels like and hopefully you pace yourself pretty well on that and that will then help you know what it should feel like in your race all right, we'll be back as usual on Monday with another episode of That Triathlon Show. If you enjoyed the show, could you please do me a favor and give it a rating and review in your podcast player app or on iTunes? That would really, really help me spread the show to as many triathletes as possible. And I appreciate every single review. They make my day. Remember that for this episode and all the other episodes, you can go to thattriathlonshow.com to check out all the complete show notes. Until Monday, keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.